For many Questies, navigating familial obligations and career aspirations can be a tricky balancing act. QuestBridge alum Nick Dreyer, Princeton class of 2017, grew up with five sisters in Northern California and is a recent graduate of Mount Sinai Medical School in New York. Now a resident physician at the Columbia University Medical Center, Nick supports his family in a myriad of ways, from sending money home to offering guidance when needed, all while chasing his own career goals. In this episode, Nick, in conversation with our host, Saxon Bryant, reflects on how his relationships with his family and his partner play an important role in his personal and professional decisions. I'm Grace Sun, and this is The Quest Continues. Hello, everyone. I'm Saxon Bryant, your host for today's episode. And today we'll be talking a bit about a common issue that a lot of QuestBridge scholars and alumni experience, which is how to balance familial obligations and career aspirations. Oftentimes, Questies find themselves stretched between providing for their families and communities, while also trying to pursue their own personal and professional goals, making tough decisions about how they spend their time, money, and effort among the various things that you know they care about in their lives. And to help us through this conversation and to provide us some of his own experiences, I'm delighted to have our guest today, Nick, who is a QuestBridge alum from Princeton, a graduate back in 2017. Nick, how are you doing today? Hi, I'm doing great. Pleasure to be here. The pleasure and honor is definitely all mine. You know, before we get into maybe some of the themes of the episode of balancing family and career and all that, you know, it'd be great to hear just a bit more about, you know, your college experience and a bit about your professional path so far. Yeah, no problem. So I'm originally from Northern California and, um, you know, I was very lucky to get a Questbridge scholarship to Princeton. And um, while I was there, I knew that I wanted to go on to med school. And so I kind of bounced around majors a little bit, but ultimately settled on public policy and international affairs major where I studied health policy and access to healthcare. I'd grown up without insurance. And so um, healthcare access was just something I was really passionate and interested in. And then I carried that on to medical school where I worked in uh, a lot of free clinics for undocumented patients and kind of spent all my time thinking about access to healthcare there as well. Um, and now I'm a resident physician in internal medicine at New York Presbyterian Columbia in New York City. And uh, I'm still trying to, you know, make those things a big part of my practice. So that's kind of a very brief view of my past. The summary is that I'm really interested in healthcare access and, and health disparities, and I'm doing internal medicine and eventually oncology. Nice path you've charted for yourself. And you mentioned that, you know, you grew up sort of without insurance. So I guess I'm sort of curious where, I guess, was that kind of the main inspiration for wanting to work more in the medical space? Were there a lot of doctors you knew growing up or sort of, you know, what was sort of really what set you on? This is not just like a personal project, but something you really want to work in professionally. I definitely didn't know doctors growing up. I didn't have um, a lot of exposure to that. One of my friends' dad was a doctor, and that was like the only person I really interacted with regularly who'd gone to college at all. And, you know, we had our fair share of health issues in our family growing up. My grandpa had Parkinson's, and I remember that being a, you know, a really tough time and very uh, kind of defining thing in my childhood. I think just wanting kind of 
the drive to help and try to fix things and, you know, be uh, a problem solver for my family and everything, which we'll talk a lot more throughout this, is that kind of general ethos and and that um, predilection is what drove me into medicine in the first place. I don't think it was necessarily one specific thing. I was in and out of the emergency room all the time when I was growing up because I was very accident prone. Um, I, you know, broke my left arm twice. I broke both my wrists in high school. I cracked my head open three times growing up. So I had all this interaction with healthcare and never had a pediatrician, never saw a doctor or anything like that. And um, when I got to college and was thinking about med school and everything, I, I was learning more about health policy. And I remember learning that all that time I was actually eligible for free insurance in California. And, um, you know, we just weren't aware of those programs and I wasn't like tuned into those things. And so all of that colored my interests. And I, I really got obsessed with this idea that you can be the best doctor in the world. And if the patients never get into the office to see you, you're not going to be able to do any good for them. I, I had a real distinct appreciation for how important access to healthcare is. And so those things all contributed to me wanting to go into medicine and where my interests are in medicine now. But it's it's a it's a very hard thing to point at a, what exactly brought me there in the first place. Movies always love to show there was like one moment where like the skies part open and it's like uh, the life mission sort of reveals itself. Uh, but it does tend to be a bit more gradual, an event here, a connection there, a person you know there. And, you know, that's sort of along the path that brought you to med school. I was curious if you could talk a bit more about that, something you know, many questies are obviously interested in pursuing. How did you find the experience? You said you didn't have, you had a lot of experience with the medical system as a patient, but not necessarily on the professional side or people in your community who had that sort of a background. So did you find the transition you know, easy, difficult? Were there parts of medical school that were more difficult for you than maybe some of your peers? Yeah, no, I think, I think the whole path was very difficult. I felt like I was kind of uh, wandering through it blind a little bit. I remember when I first went to college, I started studying engineering and I did like um, chemical and biological engineering solely because one person in high school, a peer of mine had said, oh yeah, med school's like engineers. It's like, it'll help you get into med school. You know, I did all of the harder classes in that, or not the harder, but, you know, the classes people don't want to take in that in the beginning, the prereqs and everything, and then realized, you know, this isn't what I'm interested in. As we've talked about, I'm interested in the healthcare access and everything. And and if anything, I I found that that probably helped me get into med school more because I could talk about things I was interested in. And, you know, obviously that applies to medicine versus, you know, engineering, was it just was not the path for me to go to med school and <laughs> and so i you know I, a lot of these kind of blunders along the way of not really knowing what i was doing when i got to med school you know just i'd never been challenged that way and uh trying to just navigate study habits and and all of those things is a huge transition for everyone i don't think that that was necessarily any harder for me but doing that well you know also dealing with family issues at home and trying to um you know work and send money back home. I think there was two or three kids in my entire med school class who held like any type of regular jobs. And I was one of them. And so, you know, that certainly might be an exception for Mount Sinai and, and just maybe other places more people are working and that's more part of the culture. But I, I it did feel like, you know, I was kind of sometimes dealing with things that not all of my peers were and so that's hard, and it's it's hard not to get frustrated at that sometimes. But thankfully, every step of the way, especially in in college, 
but also at, at med school, there was a lot of support and there are often institutional programs to try to help you out that I don't think we always know are necessarily there as, as questies. No, there's definitely oftentimes an information gap about, like you said, different resources and programs that are available. And especially when you have to be sort of one of the few in the class to also hold down those other responsibilities that can be a difficult balancing act to manage. And, you know, as you talked a bit about sort of having to thin money back and, you know, provide for your family, I was wondering if we could switch gears a bit and maybe dive a bit more into that and sort of what is sort of the role that you have within your family, you know, sending money back, you're a caregiver, you know, how has kind of your role in your family changed over time and led you to where you are now? Yeah. Um, so for me, it goes way back. I'm, I come from a family of five sisters. I have no brothers. The father situation in my house was complicated, I guess I'll just say. And so my mom growing up often looked at me as to kind of be a leader in the household. Um, and that, that really spread from all types of things from making decisions about like where my little sister would go to elementary school or, you know, solving family fights. And if my grandma was in the hospital, even this is well before I was ever in med school or anything like that, um, you know, they would call me and ask me what we should do and that sort of thing. And so I very much, you know, I think a lot of questies come from families that, you know, have less resources and less people in college and stuff like that. And by nature of being that kind of, in my case, like the first of my family go to college and um, just kind of taking on a lot more responsibility. I think it's, it's common for us to fall in those more kind of family leadership roles. And it's something I've really cherished and I've enjoyed feeling like I could help and contribute to my family over the years, even before I could, you know, now I finally make some money so I can do that financially, which is always something I kind of aspire to do. But even before I could do that, even when I was in college doing that emotionally and, um, you know, practically and, and things like that, um, helping my nieces and nephews prepare for the SAT right now and college prep. And um, every time one of my nieces um, have started high school, I, I fly them out here to New York and have them stay with me for a week and uh, try to get them excited about going to college and things like that. And so, um, all of that stuff, I mean, it, it's made for, you know, a lot of time that I've spent over the years and, and it's stuff that I've really enjoyed doing and stuff I found very meaningful and, you know, growing up and us not always having, you know, all the same opportunities I saw some of my friends having. I think that it's the kind of things I've always wanted to be able to offer my family. So it's exciting to now be in a position where I can do that a little bit more. Glad you've been able to find a bit more of a position and resources to be able to help out with all of that. The fly out to New York to get your nieces excited about college sounds very, very fun. <laughs> and I guess as you sort of have all these additional responsibilities and all this additional support that you're providing, how do you go about balancing that with, again, your own work, your own responsibilities? Being a physician is not an easy career, I imagine. During med school, it also probably wasn't easy to sort of have this constant balancing act between your own responsibilities, your own exams coming up in a few weeks, but also the need to take care of all these other people who you care about. So how did you try to you know, balance those in a way that you, know, you didn't like crash and burn and were able to manage that pressure? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things um, that was important for me was always communicating with my family and letting them know what's going on in my life too. You know, in medical school, there's these very large kind of um, 
board exams you take throughout your time. There's step one, two, and three. And they're kind of akin to almost like the SAT, but there's three of them and they're day-long tests and everything. And so, you know, those are very stressful times for medical students and residents uh, preparing for those exams. And I think trying to communicate to my family, like when, you know, oh, I have this huge test coming up in a month and, you know, that's just consuming my life right now. Now, I'll, I'll say that with a grain of salt that, you know, I, I've found that often my family really doesn't seem to appreciate some of that stuff, you know, like calling me with family issues like two days before my test or something like late at night. And I'm like, OK, well, clearly you just like don't appreciate how stressed I am about this test and like how much of my life that's consuming right now. But um, but still having some degree of openness about things going on so you can make some space to, you know, really put yourself first and try to make a space to balance those things a little bit more and and make time for your family when you can and but also make time for the own things you have going on in your life and doing that openly with everyone is helpful but all in all I don't think that I have super great advice for all of it you know it's been it's been hard sometimes sometimes it's been super easy you know it's not like my family is always demanding of my time and needing all these things and I just a lot of it's just a wonderful time that I've got to spend with them but um I think trying to be open, set communication, schedule things the same way you would, you know, studying or a job or something like that, you know, trying to say, oh, you know, maybe this Friday, since I know I'll have some time, I'll, I'll try to call my family and check in on everyone or something like that. And, and uh, trying to almost be a bit, just a bit more intentional about those things the way you would with any other responsibility. Never easy for sure, but it's always good to just try to, you know, taking those steps and even just like you said sort of scheduling it a bit more being more open in how you communicate about what you're going through I think is already a pretty big piece of advice I think a lot of questies have you know a pretty bad habit of sort of never revealing when they're stressed or they're going through things sort of they're always stuck in the caregiver mindset of I need to be perfect and strong so that I can support everyone else and then subsequently you know not taking care of themselves not prioritizing their own goals and their own mental health and physical health sometimes. And that can often, you know, be deleterious for everyone involved. So I think even just setting that communication and those boundaries has been a really good strategy. Yeah. And, you know, there's not necessarily great things, you, you know, frankly, you can do to make that situation tons better. But what you can really do is, is talk to people about it. You know, I think that having friends, you know, maybe that have similar backgrounds from you, that can be nice. Um, I tried to, I was involved in starting a kind of low-income first-gen student group in my med school. There was a big push to make that more of a presence at, at Princeton while I was there. And having those communities that you can fall back on, you know, Questbridge clubs and the Questbridge dining and meetups they do in cities and stuff like that can be really great things if you're not sure where to start. But creating those environments, if you don't already have them or trying to find them, um, can be really, really helpful. Or just a friend who you trust, they don't have to have a background similar to you at all, but just telling them about the things you're going through. I think it really makes it a lot better. And you know, for as valuable as that support network can be, whether or not they share a similar background, I think oftentimes there is a bit more difficulty in trying to share or communicate what you're going through with people from different backgrounds who don't have the same types of responsibilities to their families or to their communities. And I guess, have you encountered situations like that where, you know, you still had to share with people not from a same background? And have there been any strategies you've adopted to try to help make those conversations feel a bit more comfortable and natural for you? 
Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I've I've countless examples <laughs> having gone to a college at Princeton where, you know, there's a really great QuestBridge network and first-gen low-income community, but, you know, certainly that's not necessarily the norm there. But I, I think probably the most meaningful one to talk about is my wife, uh, who I, you know, we recently got married a little over a year ago now. Both her parents are doctors and she comes from a different background. And we've talked about these things a ton. I mean, for one, you can imagine that it's a tricky situation for us to be sending money home to my family often. And, you know, it's, she's extremely supportive and um, really there for me in times and, and just doesn't make me feel bad about it at all. But, you know, I, I have reservations sometimes about spending our joint finances, sending our joint finances home to my family members when we certainly don't do that for hers. Um, and so, I think just the number one thing that I've tried to do is just be really, again, just open and speak through everything I'm talking, everything that I'm thinking and the reservations I'm having and the things that I want. So I think that gets rid of a lot of space where I think like resentment or something like that could form. So a a more concrete example is, you know, if, if I have someone in my family asking for some money and I kind of don't approve of like some financial decision they made recently like you know buying new iphones or something like that and now they like need some money to help pay with bills i'll just say to my wife you know like talk to her about this frustration that i'm having and that you know and what what i think i need to do in this situation and and just really kind of having my emotions fully out there on the table which i mean i think is a good way to go through your relationship in general but it's especially important for these things where you know i think there's kind of a one-sided ask <laughs> you know i just i just feel like trying to voice everything that i'm thinking and going through and, and making it clear that i'm not just kind of mindlessly doing something selfishly um is is important and I think that's kind of the number one thing is it's just not being afraid to be vulnerable and, you know, share what you're going through. And I think you'll find that people are much more receptive than you expect, be that your partner or, or just your friend, you know, um, I've had plenty of friends who I've just kind of talked through these things with and they're like, wow, you know, I can't imagine what that's like necessarily. Um, just like they have experiences I can't imagine. And, uh, but I think people have more of a capacity to empathize and be there for you than we often give people credit for. And in addition to, I guess, you know, the relationship context, you know, what advice would you have more in general for maintaining that healthy balance? We've talked a bit about communicating with either your partner or your support system and using that as a source of strength for yourself. We also talked a bit earlier about how being communicative with your family about the things that you're going through can also be helpful in managing that aspect of things. But I guess just more, you know, on a personal level in your life, you know, how have you managed to keep yourself like steady and keep your own mental health prioritized? Yeah. My one personal tip is something that I call like micro wellness. So um, I personally really love podcasts and like audio content, audio books and listen to when I moved out to New York, I listened to all of the Harry Potter audiobooks on tape as I drove across the country, and it was great. And so I, I really love that stuff. I think that you know most people can find some type of that version, that type of audio content that they're interested in, be it a true crime podcast or a fantasy novel. You know, there's something for everybody. And I find that 
when I'm walking to the subway or when I am doing laundry or washing dishes or cleaning the apartment, um, I always like pop headphones in and listen to something and it turns what's otherwise a chore and like a negative responsibility um, into something that I enjoy. Like I often, I now really look forward to my walks to the subway in the morning because I will save like my juiciest audiobooks for that walk. And it makes me like excited about commuting to work, which is a very funny thing to <laughs> feel. And I, I feel like it brings me a lot of, that's why I call it micro wellness. Cause they're in like, you know, 15 minute doses, like spotted throughout the day. And I'm just really militant about it. And uh, so, you know, that's one thing that if you haven't tried that I, I personally like to do a lot. Um, but, you know, everyone has their own wellness strategies. Also a big fan of audio content. I'm glad you've been able to find some way to spruce up the commute because commuting is not typically the exciting part of anyone's day. <laughs> <laughs> but for the time being, I want to extend a humongous thank you to you, Nick, for taking the time to chat with me today and for being so thoughtful about both your own life experiences and the guidance you've provided to both me and all of the questies who will be listening to this shortly. The Quest Continues is a production of QuestBridge, a nonprofit organization that connects outstanding students from low-income backgrounds with opportunities at top colleges and universities. I would like to thank Saxon Bryant for conducting this interview and Nick Dreyer for sharing his story. If you would like to learn more about QuestBridge, please visit us at questbridge.org. If you are interested in contacting us about this podcast or to reach Nick, please email us at alumni at questbridge.org. Thanks. We hope you join us next time for The Quest Continues. Thank you.